0: Welcome to RDB. I am Brenton, joined as always by Danielle. That's me. And a special welcome to our guest this week, host of the Based on a True Story podcast, Dan LeFebvre.
1: Welcome, Dan. Thanks for having me.
0: If you're not aware, Based on a True Story compares history with Hollywood's version of history. And you break down the film and aim to find out how historically accurate it is. Isn't that right? Yes. What was the what's the latest episode that's up at the
2: moment? Is it Bohemian Rhapsody? Uh, JFK is actually the, the latest oh. one.
0: Oh, okay. I haven't seen that one. I've heard it's not that accurate. How was it?
2: Well, (laughs) that all depends on uh, what you believe. There's so many different versions of the story of JFK's assassination. But the the movie itself follows one particular storyline. So it doesn't get into, you know, all the different types of conspiracies and things like that just follows one of them. So I tried to stay as true to that. And kind of block out all the other stuff. But also, I mean, recognizing that it's there, but, you know, this is what we're here to do is to talk about this movie, not everything under the mm-hmm. sun that yeah. can't be done in a single episode. <laughs> yeah, that'd
0: be, be there for days. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to have to watch it because we recently watched that um, 11-22-63. Have but, you
2: heard of that uh, one? Yes, the Stephen King? Yeah. Yeah. Which is an interesting take the on
0: the whole thing. No, I haven't.
2: The book is a lot better. Ah, uh, okay. I, I mean, it's usually the way it is, but... The, there's a lot of stuff that they left out of the um series i thought that if you read the book you'd be like oh okay that's that's why they did that in the series or that's why this happened but they didn't really explain a lot of it
0: i'll I have to do that because i'm mm-hmm. a fan of stephen king
2: mm-hmm.
0: well thanks for joining us this week as we count up the imdb's best movies of all time and discuss some of the greatest films you mightn't ever have seen This week rated as number 6 on the Internet Movie Database by millions of film lovers from around the world is Schindler's List. Released in 1993, starring Liam Neeson as the lead with Ray Fiennes and Ben Kingsley, Schindler's List is a historical war epic set in Krakow, Poland during the Holocaust, opening in 1939. Based on the Thomas Keneally novel, Schindler's Ark, the film is produced and directed by Steven Spielberg. Now, we're not going to go into much of a spoiler-free zone here, but we are assuming that you at least know the story behind this one. And the reason that we have Dan with us today is because this is an important movie. And Dan, you do a lot more research into these things than us, I can't imagine how much work that must be. It's a lot of work. <laughs> How much uh research and reading do you usually do behind one of these episodes?
2: Um it it varies depending on of course the episode or the movie itself and really cuz I try to follow the movie's uh timeline and some movies are a lot closer than others and so some of them it's it's easier to you know oh that that didn't happen <laughs> you know uh, yeah. versus nitpicking on some of the details. Um but typically it'll probably take me about 20 to 25 hours uh, to get an episode created. Um, and that, I, I use my commute time to and from work to listen to audiobooks and and use that as, as research as well. So that time isn't really counted in there. But um, it's, it's a lot of work for a podcast that bounces around from topic to topic, but it's not nearly as much as, you know, some people dedicate their entire lives to a single topic, especially, you know, one like this, like with Schindler's List, you know, there's people that have spent decades and and decades researching things and there's no way that I could do that for a single episode. And so that's why I try to, to, to kind of give just enough that hopefully somebody listening will want to dig in and, and learn more on their own and give them some resources to start to dig in on their own a little bit more.
0: Yeah, definitely. I really like how you do lists uh, further readings and things. Yeah. Um, in your episodes, to for people to go do their own research and not just take someone's one stance on it and what yeah, they've that looked that into it. Value. Because yeah. that's never yeah. really a good idea when people just take one one person's opinion, even if it is a resourceful one off the internet or what have you. I find Definitely. most um, movies that are based on a true story are d- either either they change things that is completely fair enough for a, f- a movie. You got to do it just to put it on film. Yeah. And then there's the movie that just changed everything and then it's got nothing to do with the original story. Yeah. So yeah. there's either one or the other usually. So um, my impression of Schindler's list when it comes to the historical accuracy is that first one where it's, it's pretty much along the lines. Uh, it's pretty accurate, um, definitely in spirit. And I think that's definitely the point. You don't, wouldn't mm-hmm. want to over fictionalize anything. And uh Spielberg's obviously a Jewish man. He's very important to him.
1: I think he definitely would have done his best to make sure that this was as accurate as possible.
0: Well, he had the actual uh, Schindler Jews probably working I with the film. that was
1: so cool that he had them at the end there.
0: Yeah, that was a really cool, nice touch at the end there. How many times have you seen this?
2: Oh, gosh. Probably at least a dozen times by now. Really? Um, oh, yeah. it. You know, it, it's one that... Uh, Obviously, I watched it a lot for uh, research, um, but even just before and then, you know, uh, prepping for this as well. And, um, you know, it's it's one of those that it's a movie. And so you, it, it's hard to it, it's entertainment in that way, because movies and, and, and films can be entertainment in that way. But it's also, uh, you know, it's 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 very touching. It's one of those mm-hmm. things that it's a part of history and it's something that I don't think we should forget.
0: Yeah, I think it's um I think it's a very good movie and I would recommend it to everyone, but it's not something that I would ever see myself really running into watch again anytime soon because it is a hard watch.
1: They're heavy. I'm it like, is. I'm like that with most war movies right around Remembrance Day when they're all on TV and stuff, I'll make sure I'll sit myself down and watch them, but again, like it's not they're not ones I tend to watch just because but I do watch them because I think it's important to remember. And if I'm uncomfortable for that two hours, well, that's nothing compared to what those people went through. So that's kind of why I tend to like to watch those sort of things because it's, I think it's important.
0: So most of this movie is in black and white, which I think was a very good point on Spielberg. Why do you think that he did it?
1: Well, because it kind of, for an audience in contemporary times it kind of puts you in that mindset that this was back then this is something in the past yeah
0: it makes it seem like you're almost looking at reality
1: yeah and i think too it was it was a time that was very devoid of anything joyful and color kind of conveys that so i think it Mm, portrays the solemnness very well to uh like to make that directorial decision
0: and speaking about the color, I just wanted to bring up the the girl in the red, yeah, which is one of the only uses of color in the whole movie. Um, mm-hmm. And I believe that Schindler actually did see uh, a girl in red, like that was actually a a real thing that he noted down. Yes, it was. I think that was just a really cool way that he used it. The, I think the it use was of so color, powerful, not only as a storytelling technique, but as a just a film uh, effect, is the world's looking for.
1: Um. Because it was just so easy to follow her in that scene because of it, right?
0: And then you got that nice music playing, which is just juxtaposing with with what's happening.
1: Mm -hmm. No, I think it was a good choice on his part also because you could follow her through the streets, right? You could see exactly where she was going. He made it very easy for the audience to see exactly what Schindler was seeing. Um, And then later on in the movie, you know, with the mass grave scene, that's that's what made it so powerful is that because you were so easily able to notice her immediately you know who that is and that's why it makes it so touching
2: yeah it was interesting there's actually um a woman who when she watched that movie she recognized that that was herself uh she wrote a book if if you get a chance to read it it's called the girl in the red coat oh wow um roma ligoca i believe is her, her name if i pronounced that correctly um and, uh, you know, she kind of recalls what it was like as a, as the little girl in the red coat. Um, of course, we're seeing everything from Schindler's perspective, and so it's not like we know 100% for sure that that actually was her. There was another uh, a man that mentioned that he had given his daughter a red coat, and so maybe that was his daughter, um, Dr. Martin Foldy, I believe, was his name. So there, we don't really obviously know for sure. Ah uh, but it's it's just fascinating that, as you mentioned, you know it stands out and and people have connected to that even just in in watching the movie and and connecting back to what it was like to be there
1: absolutely now that's that's so interesting. I had no idea that those books existed um and I totally agree with you. I think it's fantastic that but you know that it was an opportunity for the people involved to be able to connect back and you know, further share their stories of what happened with everybody in the world who watched it. I think, I think that's great that they were able to do that.
0: Toward the beginning of the movie, because obviously this is a this is a movie mostly about how Oscar Schindler interacted with these particular Jews and the whole the whole uh, process of the Holocaust. Because it starts in thirty nine and goes through to forty five. So it it shows you when they first get taken to the ghetto and then they get taken to
1: it's the whole process of what they went through the yeah. whole war yeah
0: um so for for almost most of the movie Oscar doesn't seem like he's the one really doing much like he's very accepting of it and profiting from it um because obviously n- almost no one knew what was actually happening
1: Well and I kept asking you Tim like has he clued in yet? Yeah you know
0: well, for the long term, it seemed like it was it stacked Stern that really was the one saving the Jews for quite a long time. Yeah. And it seemed like was it the um was it the liquidation of the ghetto or was it the, the burning that really uh changed Oscar's mind?
2: It was the liquidation. I mean from from his, his recollections like that was when watching that and seeing the little girl in the red coat and just watching that happen on mass scale was when it really hit him that the incidents that he had seen previously were not isolated incidents. These are not things that just are kind of one offs and just uh, soldiers being brutal and 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 that regard. But this is a systematic thing, um, and that was really what what changed him.
0: Yeah, because he did see quite a lot of uh, brutality from the guards towards the Jews, but mm-hmm. he was just thinking that it was sort of just one off stuff. Is that right?
2: I think it was easy to see that it was to say that it was one off stuff. He was really focused on. He was a businessman. He was really, honestly, was just focused on making money. Yeah, and you know, granted, at some point, you know, you would expect that there would be something that would click when uh, you're hiring Jews for practically slave labor, and you know, it's it didn't click. Then he was just there to make money. Um, But you know, one thing after another, it was just really easy to to kind of turn a blind eye, for lack of a better Mm -hmm. term, Um, up until he actually saw the saw that liquidation of the ghetto there where it was just what are we doing you know and and that was that was kind of a a turning point for him and that was really when he made he made that decision internally we of course we don't know what went through his head but um that was kind of a, a turning point for him during the war
0: i imagine it would be like that for a lot of germans where they would just turn a blind eye to what the army was doing because they didn't really realize it and then when they did a lot of them would have been powerless, but because he had this system set up and he was a very wealthy businessman, he, he wasn't powerless. Um, so he had more... Like, I imagine there's a lot of Germans in that situation who wanted to do a lot. Um, well,
1: and you've got to remember also that for... I, I don't know if it was the entire decade before the war, but it definitely f- for the time that Hitler was in power before the war, there was a systematic policy of racism put in place in Germany, where in schools they were teaching children how to recognize Jews and that, you know, everything that was wrong with the German economy was because of the Jews, which it wasn't. It was actually because of the reparations payments they had to pay from World War I. But there was, you see in the movie a lot of times where, you know, there's a little kid standing outside the train and he does the whole, like, thing,
0: because they're heading to Auschwitz.
1: Because they're heading to Auschwitz. Or, you know, there's the little girl in the street when they're putting them on the train for the, after the liquidation. Like, go away, Jews, go away. Like, they taught them in school that they were the cause of every problem in Germany. Mm. So as much as you think, yeah, there were people who, who wanted to help, there were a lot of people who honestly thought that these people weren't human, you know, and that they... They were just animals who were the cause of the problems of everything.
0: See, the, when we watched the the burning of the bodies scene um, last night, and you said, how did the guards just go through with this? You know what I mean? Like, how did you think that what you're doing is right? And you kind of just answered your own question yeah. there. If you've just got amazing propaganda mm-hmm. um, and brainwashing to convince these people, like it, it still amazes me, looking at films like this, that this is something that happened. Quite yeah. recently, too. Like, this is this is honestly, in my opinion, the closest thing to hell on earth. Yeah. And this film is... It really highlights it better than any other portrayal that I've ever seen.
1: And something that really touched me, I think, was that... I think Spielberg really captured how blasé some of these guards could be. That it really was... It was funny to them. It was entertainment to them to do this. Because you look at it and I'm like, but that's a person. But then you remember they didn't think they were people, you know?
0: Like- I wonder how many stories they actually got from talking to the, the Schindler Jews. I imagine that they would have, and just asked uh, what was the experience
1: like? Do you have any insight on that, Dan?
2: Um, I mean, they, there were some that definitely helped with the, with the film. I'm not sure exactly uh, how much they relied on that versus, you know, it was from Schindler's Document perspective, stuff, telling yeah. the story. So you know there was it was kind of a mixture of that i would i would assume i'm not sure exactly what the percentage would would be on that but the other part of that too that you know the people that were there there's there's so many different different versions of that story for the same thing happening so you have you know the the people going through and living that hell day by day and then you have the that's going to be one version of the story and then you have the the soldiers that are perpetrating that and starting and doing that and you know we know from the uh, trials at Nuremberg you know they were pretty much just oh we were just following orders we were just doing what we were told to do and trying to make it seem like it wasn't that big of a deal mm-hmm. um, and then you kind of have you know with Schindler being kind of an outsider I mean he was a, a member of the Nazi party and and so not really an outsider in that way but he wasn't you know one of the one of the soldiers there he wasn't um one of the the, the victims there uh, either and so I, it, it, it kind of feels weird to say this but his his perspective may be one of the least um least one of the one of the most unbiased i mean i don't know mm-hmm. that there's a way to have an unbiased perspective for something like this um but you think about just you know from human memory human memory isn't that great and so at least schindler could write things down or you know be able to consistently do that mm-hmm. um to have some sort of a log and and have something that might be a little more
1: documented i want to
2: say fact-based but yeah. you know in, in that way um it feels feels weird to say that because they're they're all valid perspectives yeah i know <laughs> but you're saying. um it's yeah
0: do you think the uh like if you were just a random like average german soldier would you be tried for war crimes afterwards if you're just following orders
2: that's what well, I mean the have you read much about the trials at Nuremberg? No, I haven't if you get a chance um I'll have to send you the link after I can't remember that there's a there's a book um it's like audiobook is like fifty hours long or something so it's, wow. it's it's incredible but um it's all about the trials at nuremberg and that was the primary defense for a lot of the soldiers, a lot of the uh, they mostly tried um, officers and ones giving commands. Um, but all the way, I mean, even those giving commands would say they were just following orders. Yeah. I mean, at at some point, you know, the buck stops here, but when Hitler himself is, is no longer in the picture, then it's easy to just say, well, it wasn't me. I was just told to do it by this guy who's not here anymore. They, of course, didn't, depending on, on who the person was and, you know, some people got uh, more time than others. Some people were executed and, you know. For war crimes, um, the average German soldier—it's one of those things that what what would be recompense for something like that, where yeah, you are following orders. If you don't do it, then you know they might kill you. Who knows? After the war, there were a lot of uh, members of the Nazi Party that feared for their own lives, and if they didn't follow orders, then they or their families would basically be silenced or killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what? It's just one of those situations that it's, it's it's I can't even fathom what it would be like and what sort of decision process you would go through. It's, you know, would you do something so horrible if you knew that that was the only way that your family was going to survive? And some people were put in that position and not trying to justify it by any means, but it's just one of those things. I don't think there's, I don't don't know what the answer is there. I don't know. It's just tough.
1: Something that keeps coming into my mind is what was that study? The Princeton study?
2: Oh, the Stanford Prison Experiment. Yes, oh, yes. Stanford. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I did um, an episode on that one too.
1: <laughs> I think that—that's a very good point. Yeah. Actually,
0: can you uh, yeah. just give a bit of a basic?
1: I think that could lend some perspective here. So the final conclusions were that when people are given orders, they're going—they'll go and you know, kind of silence that part of their brain that conscience part of their brain because they're doing what they've been told to create the best outcome right even if it means brutality yeah and so the study was actually it was meant to go for two weeks and it was stopped after what six days some very small amount of time where the researchers just said like we can't do this anymore. because
0: when you're in that uh state you just your mind sort of changes and says that this is what's right
1: Exactly. And so I'm wondering if that kind of thing kind of came into play for a lot of these.
0: I imagine it would be.
1: Especially anybody who had been Nazi youth, who was probably a lot at that time, because they were brainwashed by the government and the system. Not that that's any, you know, really legitimate excuse, but I mean, like, it definitely plays into it. I just threw out this conversation that kept coming into my mind and I wanted to make a point on it.
2: That was kind of one of the, um, thought processes behind starting that experiment. At least that was what they had mentioned. But, um, I would point out that, uh, recently, if you, if you haven't seen, I think it was in August of last year or September. Um, there was, uh, stuff that came out that kind of surfaced that the guy who was behind mm-hmm. it, Philip Zimbardo, uh, pretty much told them what to do and it was all kind of baked. Oh. And so there's a lot of uh, people and there was a lot of stuff that, that kind of surfaced from that, from people that were as in the experiment that got interviewed and they were like, yeah, he would, pretty much kind of told us what to, what to say and what to do. Um, but I mean, that aside, it's still one of those things that as far as in, in this scenario, it's, it's, it's one of those things that it maybe it's, maybe it's valid. I mean, I don't know. It's unfortunate with the Stanford, prison experiment that it's tough to say that that is exactly what will happen because that particular study was um, tainted in that way. But it's still fascinating that, you know, the, the in a horrible way, fascinating in a horrible way, just, you know, what humans are, are capable of when they're subjected to just a little bit and just a little bit, you know, just a little bit of brutality, just a little bit of power, just a little bit more. And then, you know, you get to a point where you have these soldiers doing just... Mm-hmm. horrific things that I I would like to believe that any single one of them, if they had taken, you know, a year off or something and come back and just look at things with fresh eyes, be like, what are we doing? You're like, insane. this is just, mm-hmm. just, you know, horrible, horrible stuff. What are we doing? But because they're in it day in day out and they're just, like you said, brainwashed from uh childhood. Um, it's, it's what they know. It's the life that they know.
0: In someone like uh, Amon's case, mm-hmm. I can see he definitely committed a lot of war crimes.
1: No, he was just an evil bastard. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, he did a lot of things that seemed to be quite uh, accurate to what he was actually doing. I think, out of, like, there's a lot of great actors in this, but I think Ray Fiennes playing him, he's just a dick. Like, he's just menacing and creepy.
1: And crazy. Yeah. yeah. I,
0: I really like the way he plays him, though. Maybe this is a role that um made him get to be Voldemort. Yeah. 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 He was villain. a very good villain, is my point.
1: I always say, if, if you absolutely hate somebody, that means that they're doing their job perfectly. Yeah. You know what I mean, as an actor. And I definitely hated this guy.
2: For good reason.
1: I'd just be really curious to be blasé about it the war ends we all decide this was bad and that we should never do this again um but attitudes especially uh prejudices and biases die hard right so i just wonder because it was so systematic and a whole generation felt this way about a group of people i wonder what it was like for you know next generation germans um to deal with, say, grandparents or parents who had fought in the war and things like that who still had some of these attitudes about Jews.
0: I imagine it's taken Germans in particular to, a, a long time to shake off this this idea of the, after the war.
1: Well, and it must be so hard. I mean, because I've gone to school with a few different German classmates and I personally, I didn't know how you would ever approach it. So, you know, you just like avoid it like the plague, the topic of any of the wars, because, I mean, it's not just one, but two wars. The world hated them for two wars. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. I just can't even imagine the weight that must hold.
0: I'd like to think that they still teach it in school as if it's just another uh, history class. And This is a thing that happened. We have to sort of accept it. Yeah. It's not like anyone in this classroom did it. You know what I mean? But yeah. we have to still acknowledge it. I hope that they do that. Um, I'm sure that they will. Germany's pretty progressive.
1: I just wonder, you know, say... Because, like, my great-grandfather was in the war. Um, and he was actually German. He fought for the Canadian army. Um, but I just wonder, you know, if he had family in Germany and they had grandkids my age, how that would be for those for those grandkids and for those other people? Yeah, you I know, know what you're saying. Just, just to be interacting and say, like, even after the war you still might hate Jews. You know what I mean? I'm just curious I'm just curious what, what that interaction would be like.
2: Yeah, you make a great point. I mean it, it it's tough. I don't know. It was systemic for so long. I, I think you brought up a, a great point, Danielle, earlier about um the mm-hmm. World War One playing a big part in it and um a lot of what helped the Nazi Party rise to power was how germany and and the treaty of versailles and how it was essentially torn apart by the other allied countries after the war uh, germany's economy was just decimated to the point to where you know everybody was was poor and you know there was um they were just under such heavy restrictions
1: people would put money in their ovens and burn it because it was worth more right. that way that's how yeah. bad the economy got after world war 1 because of how heavy the reparations payments were
2: and and so it was so easy for the nazi party just to have the them to point and say you know we're we're going to have this common enemy and it's you know that just develops into racism and kind of propping up but that base part of just we're going to do what we have to do to get out of this mm-hmm. and the nazi party just kind of grabbed onto that and you know here's here's a common enemy they're the ones that did this to us even though you know they didn't they didn't <laughs> but you know it's that was kind of the turning point there. And, you know, it just kind of grew from there little by little.
1: Well, and Hitler actually came in and did a lot of good things for the economy. You know, like he came in and he really turned things around. So people were really ready to rally behind him. Um mm-hmm. It's just historically, it's a really fascinating example of how, how strong the economy can affect so many other things, you know, how strongly... Those pressures can affect so many other things politically socially um well money drives everything really. yeah yeah no yeah. it was just absolutely just a really interesting example
0: Um, just getting back to the movie <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> sorry you're right no it's it's a it's a it's a very important topic um with and- so
1: many facets you know like there's so much you can talk about because history played such an important role in shaping the events that you know, ultimately led to this being created. Sorry.
0: No, it's an it's an important <laughs> one. Like people should be talking about it. Um, I was watching uh Spielberg's accepted speech of Best Picture for this one, and he said, if you take one thing out of it, I hope that all the educators out there teach this in schools, teach the Holocaust, because we should never forget it. Um, and that's really the point of of his film. He's trying to show people this is what actually happened, just in case you didn't know. Um, obviously because it's very important to himself as a topic. I think it's a very long tone piece because mm-hmm. there are shots in there where it's just showing you what's happening like there's not much of a of a story for for large chunks of it it's just s- like a, someone sitting there on a camera just filming this, f- to this to this to
1: this That said it flows very It well, does flow very well. You
0: know? And uh going back to the to black and white. Mm-hmm. The lighting The opportunity that you get with lighting when it's just black and white is really quite impressive. Mm -hmm. There's quite a lot of scenes there with with half of someone's face in the light and the other half in the darkness. Or when they're in a conversation, someone will just step in just the right place and their face will be illuminated. And it gives you these different senses and feelings as to what's happening in the scene and the way they're interacting. It's very clever.
1: I think it can definitely take you right back to feeling very human in doing that you know what I mean you get pure expression there's no there's not as much surrounding connotation because like you say it
0: definitely draws your eye out of of the darker places
1: and it kind of gets rid of all the surrounding noise and makes you focus just on that person or that object and it like you said it creates a an opportunity cinematographically that you just don't get with color and I think I think it was a very smart choice on Spielberg's part because you get to, you create these opportunities that you just wouldn't get with color.
0: It must've been very difficult to direct just being like trying to create this and storyboard it. Man, there must've been a lot of storyboards for a three and a half hour movie. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Normally, especially when you're trying to recreate things that actually happened in that way. And, you know, in a way that, looks a lot like archival footage Mm. you know so you're trying to kind of direct it in that way too of um just in with the chaos and you know bouncing around a lot in some shots but then you know knowing when to not go handheld and yeah
0: i think that's a good point with the with the black and white i think it is meant to look like archival footage even if Mm -hmm. it does trick your brain into some of the scenes you're thinking oh yeah this is this is what i'm actually looking at yeah Um, because it is quite real
1: that's that's an interesting point
0: the scenes that get me the most are the ones that humanize it. Um, the first one that you see is when they, they first get on the train and they're labeling all their suitcases. And then the very next scene, you see them just ransacking it and just chucking away all the shoes and, and pulling out all the jewelry and the teeth. And that's the first time you really see, oh, these people really mean nothing to them. And then it just gets worse from there, obviously. But that's the first time.
1: Well, and that particular scene really struck home for me because, like I said, my great-grandfather actually fought in the war. I never met him. He died when my dad was 11. But my nana, that's her dad, always tells this story because he was involved in the liberation. He didn't talk about it much, but she tells a story that he told about a mountain of shoes. A mountain of shoes, wow. right? Like, he actually saw that. And... I get confused a little bit. Um, I think the scene with the teeth really struck me too because she told me about that as well. So I'm just like, holy crap. You know what I mean? Like this, it it just struck home for me a lot more because like someone who really is very close to me in terms like generationally was really affected by this, Mm. right? So it was just that particular scene for me was really... It really affected me. A few of the other ones really affected me too, and we'll get into that. But
0: well, you and I went to Mathausen in Austria, and there's a little museum there, mm-hmm. and I remember seeing a few of the photos there, and they show a lot of the clothes and, and bodies and things in the trenches. And when you go into the concentration camp, you have to pass these trenches, and you just you can't help but think, man, that's a that's a lot of people that went through these gates,
1: and. I just remember thinking, it's funny, it's funny what a person remembers, right? The scene when the little boy goes and hides in the toilet, I remember that's exactly what those washhouses looked like. Yeah. Like, he was very historically accurate, or like the watchtower over the entrance to the gate, that's exactly what that looked like, you know what I mean? It, it was just, he got it dead on in terms of set. For sure.
0: I wonder how many of the camps that he would have visited for that set design.
1: And I'm just wondering if he actually filmed at any of them.
0: I imagine that he might have parts of it, but surely he would have he would have built quite a lot of it because Spielberg was quite quite big on that.
2: With them being more you know, historical sites now, I would be surprised if they, you know, pulled in a lot of extras and and actually shot and stuff. Yeah. At the actual camps, I would I would expect that they would have rec- visited. For sure, mm-hmm. you know, and, and recreated to, you know, minute details. But then they can do whatever they whatever they need to do to get the shot they need.
0: Yeah, because you would really have to just, like, put on the rain a lot and make it all muddy and put up the wires and and yeah. you're, you're quite a lot. You don't want
2: to damage the actual, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to get the shot.
1: Sitting here and actually thinking back to it, like, just thinking back to when we visited that place, it is very, very accurate, actually. Because Mauthausen kind of had everything
0: Yes, it did have it the gas chambers. It had the
1: crematorium. It had the barracks. It had everything. So it was kind of like a little.
0: It was a very big yard, just like there was shown in was, the movie.
1: It was a little microcosm of, because it wasn't very big, but it had everything that you've ever been. I imagine
0: they, they were all a bit self-sustained, like they're all uh, I'm, self-running.
1: I'm just thinking though, like even the architecture, yeah, was like in the movie. It was exactly the same. Like I wonder if they were. Standardized or anything for what for Perhaps. how they had to be built i'm just I'm just now that I'm actually thinking about it like it was exactly the same. Do you
0: have any idea as how many there actually were? I'm imagining like a dozen or so
2: how many actual extermination camps? Yeah. yeah, oh, that I'd have to look that up to be sure, but yeah, they were spread out across Europe yeah across Europe so and there were more more concentration camps if I recall than. Uh, extermination camps because they didn't all have um, those facilities, the the gas chambers, and the facilities for for that. Um, but uh, there were way too many of them. Yeah, I'll put it that way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There was more than
2: one. So there's way. Th- yeah, or there's there's <laughs> that's not the right. There's more than zero. How's that? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, way way too many of them for sure. I, I wonder you were talking about the the luggage and that. I had a thought about that. Um, I wonder how much of that was to make the Jews go along with it easier, you know, to make them think that they were going to, to get their stuff back. And we're just going on this train ride. and they don't know where to, um, or how much of it was to hide what was going on to the German population. Um, Cause again, after the war, I know I'd seen interviews with, with people that lived in some of the cities, you know, near Auschwitz and, and some of the camps and um, they would talk about, you know, the horrible smells and, and all this, but that they really had no idea what it was, what was going on, and I think that was, I mean, it, it's one of those things. Like, really, you didn't, you didn't know. I mean, you're turning a blind eye to it, kind of the way we talked about with Schindler doing earlier. Um, but I, I wonder how much of that was to almost make it seem to the rest of the Germans that yeah, they're you know getting rid of the Jews, and and that's something that uh, everybody was on board with as you mentioned Danielle, with you know um, the 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 girl who's you know yelling, Get out of here, Jews that kind of thing mm-hmm. but I, I wonder if they didn't know that they were being sent off to die. they just thought that they were being sent to prison or they were being sent you know somewhere um, i don't know I, 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 was, I was curious to hear what your guys' thoughts are on you know why why else would they have them go and label everything you know make sure that everything's labeled and all this kind of stuff
0: i imagine it's a bit of both
1: yeah so i think like initially you know so that there wouldn't be as much resistance absolutely because Mm -hmm. why would you want to have more trouble than you need well just
0: like the story with the girl going into the showers they're like why do we need the soap it's so because there wouldn't be resistance it'd make you go in them easier
2: yeah good point
1: that was such a powerful scene too like when um so they told the story right, and they're like, "That can't be true." Like they need us.
0: Well, you know? actually, now that you say that, they never actually show any gassing in this whole movie. Um, they show some of the chimneys, um, and you, they sort of assume that you know this is what happened. We not actually don't we don't have to show it. You know yeah. what I mean?
1: Well, and the thing too with when they're actually in the showers, I think that's so much more powerful that it was actually a shower because you see. They they know what's going to happen, they think they're going to be gassed, they've heard the stories, they're absolutely terrified, those women.
0: Especially when the lights shut off. Yeah. Oof. I couldn't like, imagine that.
1: No. Like can you imagine the sense of relief you would have after that? My god. But yeah, in terms of the suitcases and things, I think I think it was so that you know they would have less resistance. Um,
0: but if the general German population had no idea that this that's actually quite an accomplishment really to be able to to do little things like that and putting the, the labels on the thing just in the in the view of the public um, it, it's really quite an accomplishment to keep up this image for so many years to get away with such a thing.
1: I think they may well have reached a point where people, Realized that something bad was happening to them but i don't think they quite realized exactly what was happening
0: well i think that's where oscar was on at the beginning he's like i i I don't think it's going to be great for him but i don't think they're being treated the way that they actually were
1: i'm curious too like exactly when the allies found out because i remember making this point too when we were watching it brenton did they just figure it out when they got there because i mean there was a war going on but there was a war going on mostly because germany was going around and annexing the rest of europe not because they were killing jews people didn't realize they were doing that initially the war was going on for a different reason you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i'm just curious when
0: i don't know but i think that no one really knew until after the war the extent of it at least Mm -hmm. i'm not sure
2: yeah a lot of it was when when the camps were liberated they started to realize what was going on you know the, the fact that there were camps there didn't necessarily mean that they were they knew that people were being exterminated there because there were work camps there were um prisoner of war camps there were a lot of different camps that um existed got liberated again it, it, it was war and you know there was massive war efforts going on there uh, across most of you know german occupied europe but i think yeah i think it was kind of after the really after the war people started putting things together and started you know hearing some of the tales of things that were going on and and seeing that the the facts were backing up those those tales and seeing even some of the documents some of the w- one of the reasons why the the third Reich is so heavily talked about I think other than you know the the horrible horrible things that they've done is because when they collapsed They destroyed a lot of documents, but there were still a lot of top secret documents and a lot of documents that were just made available. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that we can see a lot of the behind the scenes that you wouldn't normally get for a a driving military force like that. And you can see a lot of that. And I think it it would take some time to go through all of that, but eventually, you know, people started putting the pieces two and two together. That this is this is what's going on, and it was
1: actually a policy. It's crazy that... It, and, and he says that in the movie, too. He's like, this is a policy, you know?
2: Yeah. Well, it's easy to say that you know, I was just doing what I was told to do. It's what the policy says. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you mentioned the trains. We, when um, Itzek was on uh the train and the guy, the soldiers there, was like, oh, no, it's on the list. The list is correct. I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they had to follow that list.
2: I mean, like, they can't make a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like, they just follow to the 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 letter of the law and and so just the danger in that of 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 following
1: just being sheep
2: following things to such a level that you know it it doesn't matter that you know all these people are going to die because the list can't be wrong Mm -hmm.
0: i think another very uh human moment that sort of gets me towards the end was when schindler breaks down um and he has that little speech about uh, he looks at his car and he's like i could have sold this and i could have saved more people Mm -hmm. and he looks at his, the pin on his shirt and he's like, that's two people right there. Yeah. Or at, at least one. I could have saved another person. Like, I think that's something, even if Oscar wasn't saying that, I'm sure he was thinking it mm-hmm. because I think that's a completely normal thing to think. Mm-hmm. And that just must have driven him nuts just to think, what if there was something else? Because he did throw away a lot of money on, uh, on booze and stuff.
1: And women and booze. Yeah. And, yeah.
0: And, and you just must be thinking to yourself, I could have done more. I could have done more. Um, I think it's very important towards the end there, A, you get to see the actual Jews still alive and got to grow old, but it also has that that footnote saying that there are 6,000 descendants of the Schindler Jews, which is really quite powerful, um, just to show that he did save more, like he he really did make an impact. And um, well, that's
1: what Itzek mm-hmm. said. He said, There will be generations because of you. Yeah. There will be generations that live that wouldn't have lived, and they'll live because of you. It's powerful. It's very powerful. I tend to like war movies simply because they generally do exactly what they're supposed to do. Mm. Um, something that was hard for me, because there were a couple times when I had to look away from the TV, um, but it was just like i appreciated that spielberg didn't shy away from anything because you see sometimes in other movies with killing scenes that they'll kind of draw it out to make it suspenseful and dramatic yeah yeah this wasn't he really honed in on the fact Mm -hmm. that it was just like done i'll agree
0: with that because there are a few things in here where it's it's gruesome or it's violent or even even the nudity Mm -hmm. um it's necessary and it's not overdrawn out. It's just what it's happened. Exactly
1: what happened. Yeah. And I really appreciated that and his directorial choices. I really love. Spielfeld. See, that's I why think he does I such a great job.
0: That's why I said earlier that it's more of just like a a tone piece. Yeah. Um, because it's just sort of showing you from like a fly on the wall kind of perspective for a lot of these things, rather than making it a the blockbuster view of it. Yeah. Um,
1: No, I think he really just laid it out exactly how it was and, you know...
0: Almost as if it is archival footage.
1: Yeah, here's one person who really, really appreciated that, yeah.
0: And I'm glad this is uh, number six because it means that people have seen it and watched it. Hopefully, it'll it'll encourage more people to watch it and and educate themselves on the whole topic.
2: I think we've covered it pretty well, you know? If anybody's listening to this and they haven't seen it yet, go watch it.
1: It's something you should watch. I I think if you see this you get a very good education about that because i mean did did you cover this in school brenton
0: i was trying to think of that because i obviously knew the story um before seeing movies like this Mm -hmm. but i don't remember how i knew the story
1: okay because in canada we covered it very extensively in school like over many years i remember doing projects and research on the holocaust what about you dan did you guys cover it in school
2: Yeah, but not that, not that extensively. Um, It was, you know, almost one of those things where, you know, this happened and and you hear the, just the sheer numbers and you you hear the dates and you hear the details of it. And it's not humanized nearly in the way that it is in this movie where it's, um, you know, millions of people dying. It's like, okay, you know, there's millions of people that died. It was war and millions of people died, but no, these millions of people died needlessly and. These, you know, like you're saying with, you know, the the shoes, you know, feet used to fill those shoes and just imagining that and just this movie does a great job of humanizing all of that to um, to really bring it home.
1: And that's why I think people should really see this movie and should see other war movies like this one and Saving Private Ryan in particular. I think if you want to learn about the war just from movies, watch those movies. See, that's
0: an interesting comparison because they are both Spielberg. but he
1: just, he did it so well. He's very good at the Swarmillant movies, isn't he? And (laughs) if you want to learn about it and really feel like you kind of know what they went through a little bit, I think those are two really great movies. I
0: think Saving Private Ryan does more of that lingering on the death shot and making it more big blockbuster Hollywood kind of feel than Schindler's List does um which is fine cuz you can have one side or the other i don't think saving private ryan's meant to be based on something
1: well the part that really makes it feel that way for me is the the beginning of saving private ryan i don't think i've ever seen any other war movie that hits it so like hits the nail so well on the head you know for how how it must have felt that was very touching for me yeah that that introductory scene
0: i just think they're two very different they war are very films. different movies yeah yeah, yeah. Anyway, thanks for joining us, Dan.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. If you want to check out my episode on this, you can find it at uh, com.
0: We have been Daniel and Brenton this week. Thanks for joining us. Feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or comment on SoundCloud. And until next week, thanks for listening.